Marina Parkis, it is absolutely amazing to have you on 20 Questions With. Now, you really fascinate me because you have built a media career, essentially, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, based on Twitter. Talk <laughs> us through that and how you've managed it. Yeah, it's all a bit crazy, really. So it basically took off when I went on mat leave for my first child. Um, so this isn't my this isn't my job. This is why I think it's quite nice and free because I don't have an agenda. No one's paying me to have an opinion. But basically, I've always I've been interested in politics since 2016, since the referendum. I think a lot of people became quite engaged after that. And I just started tweeting my thoughts and they just started to get picked up and retweeted by some really big names, Alistair Campbell, James O'Brien, Gary Lineker. And with that, it just snowballed. And I, I still look at my Twitter following right now and I can't quite understand how it's reached, where it's where it's reached. And then I get asked to go on things like Jeremy Vine or BBC Radio or you know, it's just bit bananas really but I, I'm not I didn't plan any of this I'm not like reaching out to people going please can you get me on your show it's all very much like just happening to me and I'm just sort of enjoying the wave really it's the best way isn't it I mean I looked at your Twitter feed this morning and you've got over 300,000 followers do you enjoy the prominence and the influence that that brings even setting aside going on TV and the things that have come with it just the mm. prominence of being so noticeable on social media I do because I use my, my, so my social media is very consistent in, in what I talk about. I don't, I don't really go off brand. I don't tend to talk about myself very much. All I tend to do is shed light on what is going on in mostly in government, but sometimes it stems into current affairs, like recently we had with the Jeremy Clarkson situation. And I just try and point out the audacity of something or some events or the hypocrisy of the government, or, you know, for example, where at the moment we are scrabbling around or we're like not giving into pet nurses pay rises which will cost 1.6 billion and I just give context like for example against the backdrop of Rishi Sunak who wasted 11 billion pounds when he failed to ensure you know government debt against rising interest rates and I just try and do this in a way that's sort of pithy and concise and you know people haven't got time to read reams and reams of stuff in the Guardian or the Observer so I try and just make it accessible for people so I love that it, it lets me have cut through with people and hopefully gets more people engaged in politics. And there is a sort of art to tweeting well, isn't there? Or tweeting provocatively or tweeting in a way that people notice the tweet. There's a sort of skill to it, isn't there? And did, was mm. there a moment when you realised you had that? Almost that the, it's not quite that there's a formula, but you you have a sense when you, you send out a tweet that it's going to, in inverted commas, do well? Sometimes, sometimes I say to my husband, watch this one fly. Like, like I know this tweet's going to do well because because there's something quite clever about it or there's a bit of a oh like aha moment or something like that but honestly I think the key thing is making it readable so I always you know I've got this spacing that I have between it's really simple stuff spacing between lines which I've learned from a copywriter Dave Trott who I think is brilliant and also just speak to people in a way that you would speak to them if they were in front of you like don't use jargon don't try to complicate things don't drone on and on just put in the bits you can and make it entertaining is sort of wrong but engaging you mentioned Jeremy Clarkson and you're referring to his son column in which he mm. talked about Megan many would say that was a misogynist column and mm. I certainly called him out for it what I'm fascinated by with you as a, a very prominent young woman in the public eye is what's that like because I'm a 43 year old bloke mm. I'm six foot three I can kind of look after myself I've been bashed around on and off through my life bullied at school learned to stick up for myself had a national radio show on LBC for four years have received 
extraordinary torrents of abuse and hate in my time. And, and almost all of it is sort of water off a duck's back for me. Mm. Is that the case for you as a young woman or is it different? So there's there's a lot of stuff that is water off a duck's back, but I don't, I don't think this is. This is crossing a line because it felt like an incitement to violence. Now, a lot of people go, you know, whatever, it was a joke. Fair enough, it may have been a joke. But The Sun has waged a hate campaign against Meghan Markle, just as the Daily Mail has. They know they are, a lot of their readers will agree and will probably equally hate her. We know there's a lot of hatred for her. I don't know why. I think it's absolutely bananas. But what he's doing there is he is playing to it and he's normalising it. And I think in the current climate that we're in, where a woman in this country dies every three days, Matt, at the hands of a man. And if you ask any woman, me, my friends, sister, whatever, every woman has had some sort of horrid experience at the hands of a man, whether that's sexual assault, abuse, verbal abuse, rape even, it's awful. And so so this is an epidemic. And when you've got people like Jeremy Clarkson using their huge platform and they're well-respected and normalizing something like this, which was, let's be honest, it was violent misogyny with sexual undertones, just awful. I think that's when we're, it's a bit of a scary place to be. And then, do you know what was really awful? And I tweeted about this yesterday evening. I did a, I did a talk TV appearance on Jeremy Kyle's show. I have a little debate and I try and like shed light on stuff. But just as our show was finishing, Piers Morgan's show was starting and he was in the studio. And I was hearing who he was introducing as his guest. And I was absolutely sickened to hear, given the climate, given what's just happened with Jeremy Clarkson, he was interviewing Andrew Tate and for those of you that don't know go and have a little look if you want he is the most googled person in the world I don't want to give him a bigger platform but I just think people should know because he is basically a guy who is a known misogynist and what's really scary is that he's gaining a cult following among young boys who then you who are disenfranchised who have been like rejected who are then beginning to I suppose turn towards resentment towards women and he's harnessing it that's quite a lot there to answer that question Matt but as a woman and as a mother and a mother of a daughter and a mother of a son, it's, it's terrifying. How do you decide whether to go on certain people's shows? So mm. I, I go on the shows of people on GB News with whom I fundamentally disagree. And sometimes GB News, I'm afraid, puts out stuff that I think is really quite dangerous. Now I go on to try and rebut to try to try and try and explain to their viewers why what what they're being fed by a certain presenter might be deeply wrong and problematic. Mm-hmm. Is there an argument for not touching some of these shows at all and in a way not legitimizing them by going on them? There is and I think it's a really fine line so I will not go on GB news. I've been asked several times I continually am asked and I say no and for me as you've pointed out they they cross a line because of misinformation there but also also characters there that are like protagonists over at GB News, like Dan Wooten, who I think, in my opinion, is vile. I don't think I would ever want to do anything that would give him credence or give him an extra following or, you know, drive traffic to his show. I don't want to do that. And plus, you've got misinformation, like you've just mentioned there. I uh, can't remember who's the guy, the bearded guy, that presenter, and, you know, the whole thing about vaccines and conspiracy theories. That, to me, is I don't want to, like you say, I don't want to legitimise it. I did have similar concerns about going on talk and I spoke to a few people about it. I wasn't sure, but I decided in the end to to do it because I felt like if I could, for a slightly wider audience, dismantle arguments from from the right-hand side, some good might come of it. 
not sure if I've achieved that just yet because I just get shouted down a lot by right-wingers like Mike Graham. When you go on Jeremy Vine on Channel 5, the show that I've done a lot as well, you're pitted against someone who sometimes or often is very much antagonistic to what you believe, their beliefs. Hmm. What's it like in the green room? Because you, you feel so strongly, Marina, about the things that you treat about, about the things that you go on TV and talk about. Hmm. And sometimes you might feel they're matters of life and death. And you're, and you're debating these things with people who you disagree with. How do you maintain a sort of friendliness or do you maintain a friendliness behind the scenes or in the ad breaks? Yes, I struggle with this quite a lot. And I've talked about this openly on uh, my podcast, actually, The Troll. I'm going to plug it. I was going to come to that. <laughs> Jump the gun. I struggle with it because when I started doing this, and I'm really new to this, like I just I just assumed that everyone believes what they says. But what I'm learning, which is really quite awful, is I don't think sometimes all of the people that I'm pitted against genuinely believe what they say. And I think it's a narrative that they have to perpetuate as a result of who they work for and it gets them work. And that's not everyone. Some, some of them do 100% believe it and stand for it, but some don't. And that to me was quite shocking. The other thing was there are some people I've got to get. So I'm not going to name anyone here, but I have really not liked them before going on the show with them. And it's been quite cold beforehand. And, you know, but then what I've noticed is they are so nice off air. They're really nice people. They'll chit chat away. You know, if you met them down the pub, you'd be like, yeah, nice guy, nice woman. But their views are abhorrent. And for me, that gives me a loss of cognitive dissonance. And then they want to like post for a picture, for example. And I'm like, Ugh. my body language, I can't, I can't hide it. But I don't know how they can. It's, I, find it really, I find it really strange and I do struggle with it. Do you enjoy live TV? Do you get nervous? What was it like when you started doing it? And do you find that you kind of get into a groove? Yes. Yeah, so my first ever appearance on Jeremy Vine, I was very nervous. I was in the I was in the toilet for a long time before I went on the show. I was so nervous. Uh, and now I don't get nervous at all. I get adrenaline, especially if there's a particular debate that I'm like, I need to hammer home this point. Then I get really quite excited about it. And I also like being pitted against. So, for example, the last episode I was on with Andrew Pierce, and I've been looking forward to that for ages. And then in the new year, I'm on with Anne Widdicombe, which I can't wait for, and uh, Ian Dale. Um, so I start to, I'm, I'm more excited now, but definitely in the past, I have been nervous. And with live TV, there is this element to it. But I sort of trust that I'm not going to say anything. I trust myself enough that I don't have it. I don't think I'm going to say anything morally reprehensible because I don't think I'm a morally reprehensible person. So I, I think it's OK. Now, I've seen the promo for your work on Byline TV. And I want you to talk to us just very briefly a bit about Byline TV and what you're trying to do there. But it struck me as someone who's been a presenter for years myself that you are just a real natural at it. You're really good at it. Did, did that surprise you? Did that excite you? Did, were you expecting to be as good as I think you are at it? Oh, bless you, Matt. That's really kind. Um, like I said, this is all new to me. And sometimes I feel really like when I'm doing a few um, practices with the boys before like the, the cameras hit, uh, the cameras go live. I do feel like a moron because the way you speak to a camera and you do a monologue is really false. But apparently it's just what you do. So I'm very much like, all right, do you know what? Just do it. Make it till you make it. It feels cringe inside. But something is is obviously working, resonating. So that's really nice. What I like about the table, which is the discussion that show that I do on um, Byline TV, is if you think about like talk TV and you think about GB News and you think about how a lot of people perceive our broadcast media to be right of centre, then I think Byline TV is one of the few places where actually it's not. But we still want to get, bring that debate 
into the light. So we will have people on there like Richard Tice, for example, or um, other people are going to listen now, but we have those debates. But for once you actually have a left, like I don't, I make no bones about the fact where I sit. So I do get involved in the panel discussions and I'm not like a Jeremy Vine who sits quite in the middle. I very much let myself sit in the left, sit on the left and prod from the left and ask the questions. And so it's all quite natural. And it's, it's basically, if you're watching the TV, and you're like me and you sit on the left and you're screaming because Laura Koonsberg isn't asking the right questions or this person is just like letting that Tory minister get away with it. Like, huh, why aren't they questioning them or why are they pointing out the hypocrisy of this, that and the other? Then that's what I love that I get the opportunity to do with the table. Marina, you mentioned a few moments ago that you don't think that some of the people that you're up against on TV shows necessarily believe everything that they say. You believe that that could be a narrative or is a narrative. Do you believe everything that you say? Are there temptations? Because we're both sort of left-leaning people. I don't think we're hard left in any sense. I certainly am not, and I'm sure you'd you'd say the same for yourself. But nonetheless, we are, you know, we, we come from a sort of certain perspective most of the time. Is there ever a temptation to tweet or say something because that's what's expected of you? Because that's what you think the line should be? Or because you know it will get a positive reaction from your relative, and I have an echo chamber too, your relative echo chamber? Honestly, no. And the the reason I don't feel that way is because there is no pressure. So as I've mentioned, I don't get, this isn't my main job. My, I have a full-time job. I work in tech marketing. So there's no pressure on me to do this. There's no, I don't have an agenda. I'm not affiliated to any party. And in fact, this happens a lot where I go on a show like yesterday and I'm against this conservative dude. And he's like, well, you know, what would you think Starmer would do? And I'm like, I don't, yeah, I'm not impressed with Starmer. And I, I can say that. And he's all liberal Democrat. Then I'm like, no. I'm politically homeless right now and I can speak from a really impartial place and I can criticise everyone. (laughs) I just criticise everyone Um, because I I don't have an agenda. So no, and I don't feel the need to. There's so much to talk about without me throwing out false opinions. Like there are some subjects I don't know enough about. Like, let's be honest, like I don't talk much about the trans issue. I've got massive sympathy for what trans people are going through. I don't know what the solution is. I just don't know. I think it's such a complex area. And so I don't have to have an opinion. Not everyone has to have an opinion on everything. So no, I absolutely don't. Interesting that you're not impressed by Starmer. Elaborate. I think Starmer has disappointed lots of people who are really hoping to support Labour. I think he started off really strong with his pledges when he became leader of the Labour Party. And I think we've then seen those pledges fall away or him just break them entirely. And then this ridiculous stance on... Brexit, make Brexit work. No, it ain't. I understand why. I do understand why. But I think in his wording, he's so final and he just needs to leave the door slightly ajar and he doesn't. And I think even, you know, there are some policies. He's just basically backing a load of Tory policies. I don't think he's doing enough to condemn them. I would want to hear him condemn and um, more of the fraud and corruption that goes on in our, in our politics. I would want him to say when they get into power, we're going to open investigations into this. I want him to talk about proportional representation. There is massive demand for that within Labour, the Labour Party and beyond, and he's not talking about it. So I just think he keeps missing open goals, really. And then like when I hear about things like voter ID, so that vote went to the Lords last week and the Labour peers abstained. And so the vote went through. That to me is just utterly disappointing. And I've asked a few Labour Lords like what happened. And it just looks like that was what they were they were asked to do. You mentioned the B word, mm-hmm. Brexit. Two part question, I guess. First, do you think we will ever re-enter the EU in some form? 
in the next 20 or 30 years? And secondly, do you think or when do you think might be the right time to have another referendum? Because we've kind of all been through the mill, haven't we? And it was exhausting and it was fractious and it was often very unpleasant. But I know you feel very strongly about the damage that has been done by us leaving the EU, by us Brexiting. Yeah. In terms of rejoining, I very much hope that we'll get there far sooner. So I would love to see us rejoin in the next sort of five to 10 years. Um, that's if Labour get into power and actually um, start talking sensibly, because the way they're talking now about Brexit and making it work, it ain't going to work. The other thing regarding referendum and when we as a country will be ready to go to a Brexit referendum again, that does scare me a little bit, because I think we are vulnerable. Our politics is vulnerable to potential dark money coming in and pumping out ads, telling people, well, basically misleading people about um, what it means to be in the EU versus be out of the EU. So I think we would need to be really careful there. I would really hope if Labour got into power, they would actually do something to shake up the Electoral Commission, to give it more powers, actually, to punish and restrict sort of dodgy, dodgy activity, which leads to that sort of thing. There's an ASA, an Advertising Standards Authority, which exists to keep... Um, fraudulent ads in check so they we don't have misleading ads out there we need that in politics we don't have it at the moment and that's why I'm a bit worried about referendum that said ITV just released a um, an article this morning talking about how Brexit is costing the treasury 40 billion pounds every year again just think about that against the context of the nurses needing a pay rise of uh, needing a pay rise and demanding basically what would cost 1.6 billion to the treasury I think it shows you how much Brexit is costing the economy so give it a few years give it a few more years of basically stories coming out on a daily basis which tell us just how damaging Brexit is and I would hope that the country has come to its senses and is in a position to go to another referendum. I want to ask you about the election whenever it comes. Will you vote Labour despite your reservations about Starmer? And how important do you think it is that this Tory government is overturned at the polls? So my constituency, in my constituency, it is a Labour councillor, uh, sorry, a Labour MP that is most likely to de-seat the Tory. Mind you, it's a Labour area anyway, so it's not a problem but I will vote Labour. If I was in a, in a constituency where it was a Lib Dem, for example, that was most likely to de-seat the Tory or Green, I would vote for that party. Basically, I implore anyone who is desperate to get the Tories out to use tactical voting. You lo- use the next best person, who the next, next most likely person, sorry, to win and vote for them. And just hold your nose. If you don't like Labour, if you don't like Starmer, he is one person, he is one leader he will not be leader of the party forever. And also, even if he delivers on just one thing, one good thing, that's a massive improvement from the Tories. Even if he they just stop being corrupt, that's a massive improvement from the Tories. And it's 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 a really sad state of affairs that actually a lot of people are going, really don't impress with Labour, really don't like what they stand for. But honestly, if you don't, if you don't vote for them or the person that's most likely to de the Tories, you're basically giving the Tories a vote. So please get out and vote and get rid of these Tories. I, could, I don't, genuinely, Matt, I don't think we can afford another Tory government. Do you think there's a, a sense in which Britain is no longer working? You, you remember, of course, I mean, you won't remember at the time and nor will I, but looking back, that poster that the Tories brought out in... I think in in 1978, Labour isn't working. Mm. And there's a real sense, isn't there, that Britain isn't working anymore for all sorts of reasons. I wonder like, whether you feel that we're going, I mean, we're going through an incredibly difficult time where whatever one thinks of this particular government, we don't seem to be able to afford to pay nurses properly, or that's Mm. at least the argument. And so nurses go on strike. 
And when nurses go on strike, there's more suffering. And you could talk about different sectors, of course, as well, because we're suffering multiple strikes. I don't know how we get out of this. I don't know how we claw our way back. I've, I've always thought it was lucky that restaurants are financially viable. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to go to restaurants, right? Mm. Society has to be financially viable. And we're in a real mess. There, there must be, there, there, one hopes that there must be a solution, whether it's a more progressive taxation system, whatever it is, whether it's not launching the sorts of financial plans that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng did, or whether you, you hope that Ukraine is sorted so that the evil of someone like Putin doesn't have the sort of impact on vulnerable people's energy prices in this country, whatever. But there is a big problem, isn't there? It's huge. And everywhere you look in society, everything seems to be in crisis. You know, how many government departments are just failing as well? How long do you have to wait to get a passport, for example? Like n- nothing's working. And what I think is the most horrendous thing is that our taxes are the highest they've been since the Second World War. Where is our money going? Where has it gone? Because our, we're in more debt. We're in trillions of pounds worth of debt, worst debt that we've ever been in, far worse than when Labour were in, were in government. And yet every sector of society is breaking. You look at the public sector. They've not had real terms of pay rise for over 10 years. And yet wealth has exploded. We're seeing more billionaires in this country than ever before. The wealth gap is getting bigger and bigger. And that's because the Tories and their policies serve the top 0.0% of people. And we do need more progressive tax. And what I hate, and this is Labour's own goal, Labour needs to land that they will do this, but it's not going to impact like, you know, Paula with a Citroen, whatever, like, and, you know, who's got, who was a hairdresser. People think that that means that they're going to lose their taxes. No, we need to be really clear about this as the opposition and say, this means people over £100,000 are going to pay X. People over £250,000 are going to pay Y. Over a million, over 5 million, over 10 million. Make it that progressive. Because don't you think it's absolutely bananas that there's one threshold and above, is it 150000 you pay one tax rate and that's it. So you set, you pay the same tax rate, whether you earn 150 million or 150,000 pounds. That to me is crazy. We also don't properly tax like the, the massive international companies like Amazon properly. Start doing that. We also, you know, have got all these loopholes. We lose billions every year because of tax evasion, tax avoidance, loop, loopholes non-dom status abolish that as well there's so many things we could be doing and also just not funneling loads of money to tory cronies the amount of money so to just again like 37 billion for test trades and isolate or track and trace whatever you call it 37 billions right that was deemed to not have had any significant impact on the transmission of covid and yet again put that against the context of 1.6 billion needed for to actually give the nurses their 19 percent pay rise that they're never going to get but they need to meet somewhere in the middle right that to me is that's it all of our problems i think can be put down to tory mismanagement of the economy yeah of course the, the war in ukraine has made everything worse but we were in an awful position to start with and then brexit came along but we cannot we cannot keep keep up with this we can't keep doing tory governments it's absolutely killing this country you mentioned briefly earlier your podcast with Gemma forte mm. it sounds like you have an enormous amount of fun doing that <laughs> Tell us what it is in, in, in bite-sized form and why it gives you pleasure. So basically, it's us talking about politics, what's going on in the, the week in politics and in current affairs, not just politics. 
And it's a bit like tuning into sort of two of your mates in the pub. You've had a couple of glasses of wine and they're just chest- chatting about the like ludicrousness of it all and looking at the ridiculous takes on Twitter, the funny takes on Twitter. It's basically a trawl through Twitter of the news and how people are perceiving it and our interpretations of it. And we laugh about it. Sometimes we want to cry about it. Sometimes we absolutely lose our heads about it. But it's, it's, it's a nice balance. People's, people have said to us it's like their therapy to get through with what this Tory government's putting us through and it is ours as well so if you feel like you're a bit alone you can't have these chats with your pals a lot of my pals just not into politics don't care they don't get it then I reckon that's the podcast for you and the chemistry you have with Gemma yeah both Jeremy Vine on Channel 5 guests both coming from a similar sort of position and, and you have a lot of fun right yeah we only met what like I want to say six months ago and we did our first few podcasts and we never even met in person, but we just knew we were so politically aligned, like twins. And then we also have this view of there's a lot of serious stuff out there. You've got politics podcasts. They're all very serious. The rest is politics, which is great. Quite sort of intense listening. Um, it's all men as well, by the way, all men out there. So we just thought there's a gap in the market here for something a little bit lightness. And we thought we'd have a go and it's doing really well. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be some exciting news actually coming, which we'll announce in the coming weeks about the troll as well. I want to ask you a little bit more about you, get a sense of you behind the scenes, because you, you said earlier on that you don't really talk much about yourself in when, when, you're at, when you're putting yourself out there publicly. So you're a mother of two young children. Yes. You are married, as you've already said mm-hmm. I, I want to be really careful not to ask you where you're from obviously <laughs> but you have Italian roots tell us a little bit about that yeah my mum and dad are Sicilian so mum and dad came over from Sicily I think it was in the 70s there was basically like no work in Sicily they were economic migrants mm, oh yes banish them to Rwanda um they came over and they like had bugger all let's be honest they had nothing and my dad worked every job he could he was a waiter in the Ritz and in Claridge's and a gardener and a hospital night porter my mum was a cleaner like chambermaid she worked in the hospital restaurant yeah and they basically created a life for their three kids um over here and now I think that's that was partly why the Brexit referendum for me even though I wasn't really into politics at the time and it just it felt wrong and that was what got me uh, falling down the rabbit hole. How do you manage to juggle tweeting and carrying babies around? <laughs> There's an awful lot of... And I don't ask you that. I don't <laughs> ask you that. I, I have to say, I don't ask you that because you're a woman. I'm doing, I'm doing the same juggling as a man, I can assure you. Well, I find, and you won't have this, one one is breastfeeding. <laughs> there's an awful lot of dead time. And with a newborn, there's an awful lot of that. And for me, I just, I don't know, I'm not one to normally just sit in front of the TV and watch series. That said, I'm addicted to The White Lotus. But I... Um, I, I my wife and I are watching it at the moment. Oh, is it we, fantastic? When we first saw it on, on Sky or advertised or promoted on Sky, we thought that looks a bit tacky. And then a friend of ours who we both respect enormously said, oh, you must watch The White Lotus. And we're really enjoying it. It's absolutely brilliant. I've finished series two and now I've started series one because it's just so dark and scandalous, but also funny. Brilliant. Love it. But yeah, I guess that's it. And also I wake up really early. Like this morning I was up at 4am. I go to bed relatively late. So in that time where I'm the only one that's awake, I tend to be on my phone reading what's going on in the world, despairing and then crafting tweets. 
So I want to ask you about the joy of parenthood. And when it comes, I've, I've noticed this, and you see it on social media and so forth. There's, there seems to be maybe a sort of expected way to feel when you're a new dad or a new mum. I'm a new dad as of nearly 13 weeks ago. And it's such an interesting experience being a dad. And, and I, I feel like I've sort of grown into it. I mean, I threw myself into it from the start, but I feel like the bond I have with our baby is growing and growing and growing. And when he smiles back at me, the joy is just, it's just extraordinary. And I just, yeah, I just wanted you to put into words what you think, what, what you, how you find it being a parent. Uh, I'm going to use someone else's words here, but it's basically the best and hardest thing you never do, right? So I, I've got a two-year-old and I've also got a 10-week-old now. And um, it's like addictive, isn't it? So I've got this 10-week-old and I'm looking at him and I'm going, I don't, I don't know if I'm done. I don't know if I'm done like because there, there's something so overwhelming and so incredible about the love you feel when you're looking at those little bundles of joy. Even when, you know, like my two-year-old has decided he hates having his nappy change and when it's a full dirty nappy and it goes everywhere, that's very testing and it can be really hard. And, you know, when you're sleep deprived, but the, the good just outweighs you know the bad so much and I just think it's wonderful and I think that's another another point another point to why I'm relentless on this is because I worry about the world that my kids are going to grow up in and I worry about the environmental concerns and I worry about like you know <laughs> these people that are in positions of power and influence like is this that is that the world I want my kid to grow up in and I suppose that makes me even more vocal. Before I ask you my final question and, and there's going to be around special skills or secret skills that perhaps we don't know you, you have and also you can encapsulate all the things that you're sort of a lot of things that you're passionate about the first is slightly more mundane question again you referenced earlier that this public platform thing that you do is not your main job what is your main job? So I love my main job, by the way. I work for um, a US tech company based in London. Well, they're all international, but my office is based in London. And I look after their campaigns across Europe for engagement and retention. And I don't really want to go into what the company's called, just in case. But um, yeah, I'm basically in tech marketing. So it's all about, well, it is engagement. So that's the link, I guess, to what I do on Twitter. It's like, how do I increase engagement of the, the, the product that I work for on a daily basis? And then this, I suppose, how do I increase engagement for my tweets? This is not a question. This is sort of more of a reflection because I don't want to waste my final question. But I, I suppose by having such a sort of big media profile and having such a big social media profile and taking strong, not necessarily controversial, but strong positions on stuff, as I do as well on Twitter and elsewhere, one might wonder whether that has an, an impact on employers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting not all employers by any means but I think it's it's interesting that you choose not to mention the company perhaps for that reason no in fact I think I would be absolutely fine mentioning the company but just treading carefully but my um my senior director is very supportive you know a fan I've been asked to do stuff at the organization which is very progressive um where I've interviewed people for the company where we do inclusivity events for example and I've interviewed Dr Shola when I was at work so there's that bit of blend like from what I do in my personal and what I do at work but no, they're very supportive. And also, I think the difference is, Matt, if I was going on, if I was right wing, right, and I'm spouting some horrible things, and I've got some really quite abrasive views, then I think there will be something to be said. But nothing I say, everything I say, all I want is is for things to be more egalitarian, I think for, for more people to have a better standard of life, I don't want anyone to suffer maybe the millionaires will suffer ever so slightly if we pinch a few a few more pounds from them in tax but really I don't, I'm not hurting anyone I'm not saying anything that should hurt anyone I might annoy a few people but I think that's why there wouldn't be a problem with this employer and if an employer did have a problem with it I probably wouldn't want to work for them anyway.
Very interesting. Okay, final question. That was a slight cheat by me, but final question. Do you have any special skills, secret skills that we should know about? And as part of this bundle of this question, what kind of makes you happy outside family, outside work? What what are you passionate about? I have secret skills. I love to host and cook. Must be maybe part of my Italian roots, but I love having people over. I'm a feeder and I love doing the whole like three courses, canapes, mousse bouge, wines all the rest of it and um I've also been on come dine with me yeah long time ago um because I love cooking so much and I love hosting so yeah that's my secret skill not celebrity come dine with me that might come down the line no well actually strangely it was couples come dine with me and it was about eight years ago and it's with an ex and um yeah it's a bit awkward to watch my husband's (laughs) never watched it he refuses to watch brilliant Marita Perkins has been very, very entertaining and really interesting having you on 20 Questions with. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Matt. And please put a plug out for us on your your own podcast. Yes, please do so. The Trawl. Search for The Trawl or The Trawl Podcast and you can get it anywhere you get your podcast. And I promise you, it's like just sitting down, having a glass of wine with friends and just doing a bit of Tory bashing, chatting about the news. But if you are a fan of the Conservative Party and if you think they got all the big calls right maybe give it a miss. (laughs) Marina, thank you. Thanks.